Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek podcast where we talk about all things Trek. Today, we're here to review Season 3, Episode 6 of Star Trek Discovery, Scavengers. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other from the Raider Room Studios. Jonathan Shorts, how you doing, man? Doing good, man. Doing good. I, uh, I'm realizing now, you know, in my haste to get the Ready Room Studios up and going, I neglected to get a heater to put in here. So it's a little <laughs> bit chilly. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> my environmental controls are need calibration. <laughs> environmental systems are offline. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hopefully we don't lose gravity plating. We're really screwed. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm good, man. I'm good. Good, good, good. <laughs> also from the cold Red Room Studios <laughs> in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, we have Jeremy Barrow. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. I'm in no danger of losing my personal gravity plating. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the environmental controls could use some work in here. Perhaps there's a good ensign out there we know who could uh, come in and fix it for a little bit. Oh, where's Tilly? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I was talking about forever, Kim. <laughs> oh, the hate. The hate is real, man. The, the Kim hate is real. It's, it's, it's not hate if it's true. Oh, wow. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> oh, man. Well, a little housekeeping here. You can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review, and telling a friend. If you have a review idea, please send that along with anything else you want us to talk about or to know. Two fans at DiscussingTrek.com or at DiscussingTrek on any and all of the social medias as it were. So, guys, do you have any news or updates? John, I think you have something, man. Uh, Yes. So there was an interview done with one of the actors in Picard, and he alluded to a January start date for shooting of season two. Ah, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And they also asked him the question of what are some things that he would, you know, kind of his wish list for a season, maybe appearances or plots. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's, I mean, this is not saying anything at all, but he said he he would like to see maybe a wharf, uh, like kind of a, a, a fight between he and Worf. The <laughs> actor is uh, even Evan, whatever his name is. Evan Eva Gora Eva Gora Gordon the Gordon so I keep wanting to say Evelyn Gordon <laughs> me too <laughs> but anyway he said he would like to see a scene with he and Worf Worf kind of in a fight now I don't know how they worked that into the show but that's just what he threw out there oh man um Michael Dorn would own him I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> that wouldn't even be close. So uh, I don't have any news per se, but I do want to bring up a story that I picked. I've had this in the coffers for a couple of weeks now, and I want to talk about it. I think this is a good time to talk about it real quick because we did mention Harry Kim. So did you guys know that I guess it was season three or it may have been midway season two, season three. They were getting ready to get rid of somebody. And you might know where I'm going with this. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's, it, yeah. It and and because Jennifer Lynn was so liked as Cass, the bet was on Harry Kim to go. 
Have you guys heard this story before? Yeah, yeah, I have actually. So keep no, t- I did not. So so tell <laughs> tell Jonathan why Mr. Kim Ensign Kim stayed on the ship and Lynn had to go. Because he was chosen as pe- one of people's fifty most beautiful people. <laughs> yes, and they de- and they decided to keep him and get rid of uh, Kess. Well, I like looking at Kess more than I like looking at him. <laughs> like I'm just telling you what happened, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, G- Garrett Wang um, landed on uh, the the fifty most beautiful beautiful people from People magazine and. Um, you know, you just don't let the most beautiful person on the crew go after, <laughs> after they've been so christened. And, you know, conversely, um, Garrett Wang was the only person, only cast member to be turned down to direct an episode of Star Trek. Really? really? Wow. Yeah, apparently he and the showrunners, like, just did not get along. Interesting. Which is, I think, one of the reasons why they kept him as an ensign through the entire run. <laughs> but they also refused the chance to allow him to direct. <laughs> You know, I do listen to their their podcast, Delta Flyers, and um, um, yeah, Robert Duncan McNeil is always talking about how you know he shadowed and directed episodes, and how he learned to be a director. He's he's you know that's his main job now. He goes rounds and directs. I'm not quite sure what Garrett Wang is doing other than you know the podcast. I think he's done some acting here and there, but yeah, uh, he he's made that his career, and it's kind of fascinating to hear him talk about it on their podcast. Uh, Bolana did too, actually. Yeah, yeah, man, man, so talented, so talented. But yeah, that's that's kind of I didn't know that about him. I'm, I hope it comes up on the podcast. Yeah, just interesting tidbit I I read a few weeks back, and I've been meaning to bring up. So since we had a little bit of runway here, I just thought I'd mention it for the people that didn't know that's listening. But I'm sure all you guys are hardcore Star Trek fans, so of course you you already knew this tidbit. I think they actually made the right decision by keeping Edson Kim and not Kess. Mm. I think they actually made the right call on that one. Man, I love that character so much. Of course, I was like, you know what, 15, 16, 17, 18 when I was watching these episodes. <laughs> so, you know, uh, it could have influenced my my opinion just a little bit. I thought Jennifer Lynn was just like super lovely. I thought she was just super lovely during this time when she was on the show. Um, so I don't know, man, but. I will say I do like how they brought her back those few times. I thought those were always interesting when they brought yeah. her back. But but yeah, that's that's a tough one, dude. That's really a tough one. Uh, and even the guy who hates Harry Kim says they made the right call. So interesting tidbit from you on that. <laughs> to say that you thought they made it right. I, can, I mean, I can, like I said, you know, it's not hate when it's truth. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and move right along into our review of Star Trek Discovery Scavengers. Scavengers is the sixth episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. It aired November 19, 2020, and was directed by Douglas Arianoski, who directed episodes from season one and two of Discovery, Let They Sound of Thunder and Through the Valley of Shadows. He also directed Nepenthe on Star Trek Picard season one. The story was written by Anne Kofel Saunders. After receiving a message from Book, Burnham and Giorgio embark on a road mission to find him, leaving Saru to pick up the pieces with Admiral Vance. Meanwhile, Stamets forms an unexpected bond with Adira. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. I'll give you the right. You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. So I don't have Kyle to give me the summary beats of the episode. Does anyone else want to take that? Can summarize the beats of the episode really quickly? 
I mean, I can do it with just my favorite quote from the whole show, from the whole episode. Let's hear it. You had me at unsanctioned mission. <laughs> Perfect. Touche. <laughs> Touche. With that, let's go around a horn and get everybody's high-low opinions of this episode. And let's just go right back to you with your unsanctioned mission quote, Jeremy. What are your high-level views of this episode? Just another great episode. I mean, there's really, I mean, we'll get into more detail about it here shortly, but I mean, there's just really no other way to say it. It's just another great episode. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I agree. A great episode. Uh, Jonathan? Um, I'll have to kind of go along with that. It was another great episode, but <laughs> I do get, <laughs> no, I mean, it's not bad. Okay. And I, I'm actually thankful because. You know, I was starting to feel bad that everything I saw was being rated a five. Like, I have to go down so we can come up. But anyway, that being said, uh, I somewhat kind of sort of got the stepping stone feeling from this one. Hmm. So you're saying basically what Jeremy's been saying the last three episodes. (laughs) We need this episode to get to the next one. (laughs) Right. Like this, it wasn't a bad episode by no means. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed it. I laughed. I was excited. But was it jaw dropping? No, but I think it was needed. (laughs) <laughs> Man, you guys with these opinions of these episodes sometimes <laughs> crack me up. <laughs> oh man, I think all of y'all had said that one time or another that it's a stepping stone episode, and this time maybe. So, for, so I mean, no. See, for so for me, I still enjoyed the episode. My first time watching, I was immediately like, yeah, it was it was good, but. It didn't knock my socks off. That being said, the second time I watched it, adhering to dig into all those tidbits, I really enjoyed it much more the second time watching it. And funny enough, I think the A plot, the 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 climax part of the A plot was was maybe the least interesting. I mean, it was good, but it was it seemed like it was a story we've seen over and over. You know, go risk, go to a place, buy time, rescue the people. Found out how to get them out, you know, rescue rescue them by the end of the episode. That's what it felt like to me. But I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, it, and I'm kind of opposite of you because the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it. The second time watching it, I kind of like, uh, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I guess watching watching, like you said, it's almost to me like a kind of a cliche plot line. And to watch it a second time kind of pointed that out to me. But with with that in mind, it it is the typical type of episode to where we do a thing, we hit all these acts, we get a conclusion that part of the story is pretty much over. You know, we can close that book on that part of the story. Yeah. And it had sprinkled in tidbits that maybe aid to the greater story of the season. And maybe that's the maybe that's kind of the issue. You know, we we always we always tend to say this was a classic Star Trek episode. But I mean, these first five episodes really weren't that classic. They were close. But I think this is the closest we've had to a classic Star Trek episode. But I think we're just kind of looking at it. Well, me personally, I'm just kind of looking at it a little differently because 
I mean, Discovery has been like punching them punching out her weight class. Yeah. And then they hit you with like this is really the classic trick episode. Like to me, this was almost like a TNG episode. Yeah. With a little more action. You know what I mean? So not saying TNG was bad by no means. <laughs> and this was not bad by no means, but it's not what we're used to in the first five. Yeah. And and especially if you're talking about it being, you know, a, a, a episode to get to the next one. Honestly, to me, if you take the of course, we need some of that character diver- development of what happens to Burnham in this episode. But if you take that out and kind of take out the things that happened to Giorgio, you probably can take this episode out of the season and keep going. Yeah. <laughs> Which is bad. I don't know. Maybe the uh, maybe the uh, Deer part was important, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, so I get I don't know. It just, it just felt different. I don't know why. Uh, it's probably going to be my lo- lowest rated so far, but but I did enjoy it, like I said, more the second time watching it. And I think you hit it right, right on the head when you said it. I, I think like it's just character development this episode entirely. Adira and Stamets and Barnum and I mean even even Saru. I mean, yeah, yeah. maybe not developing the right way. <laughs> Ooh, boy, I feel sorry for the guy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. So Discovery has been refit and is ready for service. We see that Discovery has sort of kind of become a key member of Starfleet duties because of what it can do with the spore drive. As we have kind of that roundtable in Admiral Vance and sees Discovery as a first responder. So just any thoughts on this opening roundtable scene of the captains? Um, any, any thoughts on overall it seemed like it was a little politics working there on who's the ship now or who's the man in Starfleet. Cause it seemed like Saru may have got vaulted up that ladder. So in, any thoughts on the opening sequence there? Yeah. So I did. That was probably one of my most favorite parts. Uh, number one, seeing the refits for the retrofit refit, however you want to call it for the, uh, for discovery. That was good. The uh, round table, as you say, I enjoyed that. What, what I, enjoyed seeing the most that made me the most curious uh and i don't know if you noticed it but there was a cardassian there in uniform mm, uniform i didn't know the female officer to the left at the opening of that meeting so does that mean cardassia is now part of the federation i mean we end ds9 with a treaty you know cardassia joined federation the ousted dominion uh, they didn't say they were formally, you know, become part of the Federation. But, I mean, I guess we're to assume that from seeing that. I would think one. I'd probably have to. I would think. Yeah. And the other part I liked about that is, you know, these the first couple of episodes or first episode of them getting to Starfleet headquarters. I mean, it's just a lot to a lot of knocking Discovery down. It's an old ship. It's an ancient ship. It's not can't do much. It doesn't fit with us. In this particular scene, it kind of put it kind of put Discovery either on par or really because of the drive above the rest. So it kind of gave us something to be proud of. Like we're Discovery fans, and that that's our ship. So and we're proud of it now because now it stands above the others. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that was quite poignant. And for me, it it's interesting that. You know, uh, history tells the tale here. I mean, even in the past, in the the Federation Klingon War, uh, go all the way back to Lorca being a strategic 
turning this science vessel into a battleship. It was like a key part of turning the tide on that war, you know, and right. we're, we're way here in the future. And it's kind of become the same thing because of his capabilities, even more so now uh, with, with the lack of the lithium. So I find that kind of interesting how history is, is repeating itself uh, uh, for discovery. So, Jeremy, let's go ahead and get into some of the, the things we saw with the discovery, which is now the United Spaceship Discovery Naval Constitution Contract 1031 dash a so in the words of Detmer, do we really need all this thoughts on discoveries, internal system updates, detached the snails, programmable matter. Um, any of that stuff jump out to you as extremely cool, futuristic. Is it needed? Um, thoughts. It, I mean, it's, it's cool. It's probably needed, but my, my first thought was cause they were walking to the bridge and it's like the first time they're seeing this and they're expected to go into action. It's like, do they not have any training <laughs> with this new equipment before they go into, uh, before they go out on the field? Yeah. Well, they were down three weeks is what we, I think. Right. We but, when, but when they walk on the bridge, they're, they're acting like they're seeing it all for the first time. True. So, I mean, I, you know, they're, they're just, to me, it just seems like it's a bad idea just to give them all this new nifty stuff and not sh- kind of show them how to do it or give them time to to get accustomed to it. Well, you know, I would assume it's sort of like, you know, go to work to Walmart for the first time. They put you on old CBS for three weeks. <laughs> oh, God. I feel like they've been training this whole time. They probably didn't do the retrofits themselves. They probably been somewhere training um, this whole time to yeah. get abreast of the situ- abreast of the situation. So. I don't and know. I don't think it's much to. I mean, it, the enhancements or the retrofits will in, dramatically increase the capability of the ship, but I don't think it's things that they necessarily have to have an in-depth knowledge of. Like the only thing I think they really need to work on, as we see throughout this episode, is the combat, just especially the personal teleporter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this guy. Oh my god, Lina's got on my nerves, dude. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, short of that, like the programmable matter on the uh, control interfaces, like they still kept the interfaces to look like they're used to, so they still operate it. And I think the programmable matter. It's not necessarily that they use it; is more it uses them. Hmm. So, sort of like if you were flying a a jet and they had some kind of mind link thing yeah. that kind of linked to yeah. your mind, you didn't really need to be trained for that. You just need to be connected to it, and it's going to do its thing, and you just respond faster. So, I, I think that's kind of where it's going to go. Although, like Jeremy, I do see this being an issue if they have to run out like. With all technology, there will be bugs. <laughs> right. And yeah. when it doesn't work exactly like it's supposed to, then training is going to be a big, important part of continuing forward with it. So Yeah. I mean, at this point, I say most of the issues go with their ID10T issues. Yeah. And uh, now the detached nacelles. I'm still trying to wrap my head around how that's <laughs> going to work. <laughs> it looks cool. I don't know. But I mean, it's I mean, pretty. <laughs> We use wireless power transfer now. We got the QI chargers and all that. Now, I mean, you up that to like quantum level. It's I, I, I understand the science of it to be beyond anybody for sure. But also with the spore drive, like, was it absolutely necessary for that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, especially with the um, 
the lack of dilithium. Right. <laughs> like, I don't see them using them to sales much. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was just cool. It was. It was yeah, cool. it's, it's very pretty. Like, it's very pretty. But it, I would have liked to see it in action this episode somewhat. Or at least take it out for a little test spin. Yeah, well, I think it's going to wind up doing sort of what uh, Voyagers nacelles do. The, the little lift up a little yeah. bit or something when it gets ready to go warp. No, that would be that's going to be awesome. I, I can't wait to see that. And even even witnessed by, I mean, those being I think those being detachable are part of them integrating like the programmable programmable matter into Discovery. Uh, and, you know, we get later into this episode when we see books ship. The kind yeah. of thing it does when it like turns around, like whoa! <laughs> now that would be cool if like the nacelles were detached because like maybe the nacelles add so much drag to the ship, and you know what I mean. Maybe the ship can just flip around without the nacelles flipping around, you know, and, yeah. and then reattach. I don't, I don't know. Maybe now, but, now with all this being said, if we were like actually there. In real life, when we see all this going on, I'd probably wet myself with all this neat new stuff they just. Did. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like 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 my boy Brian said, do we really need all this? Hell yeah, we need this. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yes, yeah. Yeah. you are right, sir. <laughs> I don't know what this crap do. <laughs> oh man, yeah, Jeremy, you mentioned the com badge, but uh, the com badge technology allows for hollow pads. It's a tricorder. It's a communicator is a personal transporter uh we mentioned programmable programmable matter consoles hey i'm down for it man it feels like we're in the 32nd century and i'm i'm here for it man i am here for it oh yeah is it it was weird hearing them saying you know talking about these brand new fancy uh com badges and then call it a community say it now has a communicator and like <laughs> all of our star trek <laughs> right. yeah yeah that but was funny also they say com badge throughout Discovery, but it's never really been a com badge till now. It's just been a badge. Right. Hmm. Do they call it a com badge? I don't know if I can verify they, that. They've referred to it as com badge a couple of times, yeah. But anyway, it was still weird him to say you now can communicate with them. I'm like, yeah, they've been doing that for a while now. That's not new. Next generation. It's nine, Voyager. <laughs> so, real quick, um, so, if I were to say the name Lieutenant Nilsson, would you guys know who the heck I'm talking about? Yes. Before this episode, no. <laughs> <laughs> Up until about 20 minutes ago, no. But, yeah. <laughs> but at the moment, yes. <laughs> yeah, so they have been suddenly focusing on her a lot more. And I've seen her, like, jump in the captain's chair a few times when Saru has left the bridge. So, so the actor's name is Sarah Mitch. Again, that's the same actor that played Arium. In season one, and when Ariel wow. got a bigger focus in season two, she, you know, took off the costume and was just a regular, I guess, lieutenant at this point. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever heard her speak. I may may have heard her say "aye aye" or something or "aye, Captain." Um, but like, yeah, what is her position what, what, on the bridge? Yeah, what does she do? I know she's not science, and she's not tactical. Not anymore. Well, no, she may be tactical. She may be tactical. Know. She's not communicating. Oh, no, no, Reese is tactical. Yeah, uh, Bryce's communications. Um, I don't know, but if I, we, we'll get to that, but if they do what I think they're going to do with her, I'm going to be upset because that could have went a bunch of different ways. Anyway. And, and if they do it, I want to be right. Uh, oh well, theories. Later theories on the table, man. Let's <laughs> let's see what you got. Well, uh, we can't. I don't want to say those because then we jump ahead to the end, and we will get to that. Oh, I see what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hmm. Things that make it go. Hmm. So we get a turn of events as Grudge arrives at Federation headquarters with a message for Cleveland Booker saying that, you know, Cleveland saying that he's found the black box and that he's been captured. First off, how the heck did he get coordinates to Federation? Something they've been searching for a year or more to find. He just knows where it is all of a sudden. I assume he just programmed it to follow Discovery. That doesn't sound right to me, man. Why would how would it be able to follow Discovery's trajectory when Discovery, Discovery probably spore jumped there in the first place? Well, they still can locate it. I mean, I could put a GPS in your car right now and locate it anywhere know, in the world. Man. I don't know. It seems like that's just implausible at best. And I don't think Burnham would send him the coordinates. That it, that seems like such a secretive place. You would have to be at least a member of Starfleet to know where it is. I'm pretty sure he left. Oh, but matter of fact, didn't they? So he still has their dilithium, doesn't he? No. Mm, I think she no. gave him some dilithium. Oh, anyway, I, I'm pretty sure he like put something on Discovery or linked it one way or another so he could find it when they live when he left. I'm calling plot hole. At the end of the the people of Earth, where Saru could mention that he was an ally, and I'm pretty sure they're they're kinda keeping tabs on each other. One way or another, whether it be through like, you know, like messages or like, you know, video calls or something like that. So he probably knows about where they are. Maybe. But this is such a sacred place. Yeah. So that brings it to the next question. Even if he did put a tracker or somehow he's tracking discovery, you would think that this uh, what it feel distortion field they're behind would also distort that signal. Yeah. And it it could be that Burnham's like, okay, we don't know if. The Federation is here for sure, but we're heading here to find out because it's been three weeks since he's been gone and they've only been there for three weeks. So, (laughs) you know, when did he actually get the coordinates? It's I don't know. I think this is a plot hole. I'm just seeing it as a plot hole. This is this is one of those moments where I just look at like if my child starts doing this during the movie, I'm just just looking at him go just shut up and watch the movie, David. (laughs) Well, I'm sure um, Saru. Want to tell Burnham to shut up when she was going on about this <laughs> um, black box. And what do, what do we think of her, of her idea? If we locate three that are showing a time differential um, uh, greater than, you know, the, the simultaneous uh, or, or their supposed simultaneous explosions that they think they all occurred at. She's found three black boxes with different times and she can use that to triangulate the uh, origin of the signal that caused the explosions. Uh, do we think that's a good idea? Are we are we down for Burnham to pursue this, to go off in this pursuit? It's a neat theory, but with so many ships, it's probably going to be just an enormous task to figure out what she's trying to figure out. I don't think even three or four is going to be nearly enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get the right three or four, maybe. I mean, we can get get them pointing in the general direction. Right. But do I think I'm completely against her actions in this one? And to the point, like, she irritated me. Like, I and even the new Burnham, I still I still say this was out of the norm for the new Burnham. Like a year, a year away still shouldn't have caused her to make such a bad judgment call. Oh man, you know what I mean. That that, and I get it. I get why this is important, but 
number one, you disobeyed a direct order. Number two, and Burnham, regardless of how much she's changed, she still cares more about other people's lives than her own. And to know that there's more than one life at stake with this other planet that they may have to jump to. So that being on the table, direct order from Saru, her trying to fit in, you know what I mean? I, I, I would assume, I would have hoped that she would have made a better decision and she didn't, which, I mean, now we see she kind of makes it more. It's not just from getting the black boxes. It's love involved in this, too. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, I, she would, to me, is one another one of her faulty calculations that having this black box to find the origin of the burn is more important than this one thing they're doing at this very second. And as you mentioned, love is involved. You know, I'm... I'm I'm right there with you, John. I mean, Burnham so willing to disobey orders. Um, it it just makes makes me think of the same exact problem that led her to to the mistake she made with real George O at the very beginning of the whole series. And it in a way it in a way it invalidates her whole arc in season one because she's right back to being wreck I mean now overly emo now overly emotional but still reckless you know yeah it's not based on logic but still reckless and uh, you which would, is worse it is worse and you would think she would have grown from that and we also see an episode where Tilly even turns on her a little bit surprised well I don't Ooh, think no. I didn't see it as her turning on her I just seen it as Tilly being who Tilly is and Tilly is first and always a Starfleet officer Hmm. So I think duty came before Burnham, not necessarily he turned on her, but I mean, at the end of the day, like you're at work and you got a good buddy that you worked with for five years. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is you get a paycheck. You know what I mean? So you're going to do your job. And I see yeah. Tilly doing that. Well, it's like, you know, when, when Jonathan and I worked together, he was my boss. And, you know, we're good friends. We, we see each other after work and all. But while we're at work, if he tells me to do something, I do it. Because you know that that's a work relationship, and that that's what she was going in. That's where that's who Tilly was at that moment was in that work relationship. Yeah, and and we'll just go ahead and talk about the the end with um her demotion. You know, we talked about this episode Re- feeling a demotion reassignment, or well, demotion as well because mm-hmm. she's not first officer anymore. But she's still the same rank though, isn't she? That's a demotion, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, yeah, I guess she is still the same rank. So, okay, if I so, if, if I take you from a captain to just a science officer, that's a demotion. It's it's a command demotion. Not yeah. necessarily. I, I think it's a little different if you go from commands. But even if you could take a captain and make them the science officer, but I think captain and first officer are both titles, not ranks. Response. Well, I, think a, I think a captain is both, but a first officer is a lieutenant, is a commander or lieutenant commander. A first officer with is a title, commander. With it, a title. Okay, okay, we're getting job and rank mixed up. Right, we're, it's yeah, still yeah. a demotion. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll concede. <laughs> I'll concede. <laughs> anyway, anyway, let's let's talk about the demotion or whatever it was. She she's not a first officer anymore. You know, John, you talked about earlier about how this episode was all about relationships. And I feel like we got a solidification of book Burnham. We got maybe a bit more relationship with George Owen Burnham, but also as well, we see where she's losing the trust of her crew members. You know, Saru, who's now put so much into 
you know, her, his vision of what he wants her to be and trusting in her. And now, and even with Tilly, and now it's turn around and say, um, it's not about your skill, not about your ability. It's about trust. And he's lost that trust in her. I 100% agree. Like, if you, the number one, having a, having a first officer is not about having the best person on the ship. It's about having your, your most trusted person. Like, who's going to have your back and best interest at heart, no matter what? Yeah. And that's always every first officer we've seen through Trek. That's what it's been about. It's never been about skill. It's always been about what I mean, look at uh, on DS9, uh, Major Kira, eventually Colonel Kira, like Cisco. Well, he did choose her. He kind of had to. But it eventually got to a point where he trusted her more than anybody else. They offered him a Starfleet first officer and he didn't take it like he wanted Kira because that's who he trusted regardless if they do Starfleet or not. And that's, I get it. I mean, I'm 100% in agreement with it. Like at first officer, that title entails trust. And if you don't have that, you're not a first officer. And thoughts, Jeremy? I, I think Sheree made the great, made the right call there to move her over back to science. Um, and I agree with Jonathan, you know, you, you got to have somebody who has your back and has Starfleet's back in that position. And Burnham's not showing that she's doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Chief science officer, a role shared by her brother there. Um, but man, I felt in that moment, I kind of felt sorry for Saru because even though he's not the one getting demoted, he got a scathing rebuke from, from Admiral Vance. Like, why didn't you bring this to me? You know, he, in an attempt to shield her, it it kind of got him in a bad place, and I feel sorry for Saru, man. I'm like, he don't, oh, he's doing all he can to help her, and she's just, you know, crapping on him, and oh, I don't like this burn him. I really don't. And I don't think he necessarily tried to shield her from it, but I I think he just part of his greenness as a captain. He he was so involved in the right and wrong. And it's been kind of Saru's problem. There was no gray area. He has no acceptance of the gray area. And like the Admiral said, like this, you should have brought this to me and I could have decided if the intel was worth it or not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Saru's only intention was this is our orders and we follow them. And there's no question, no matter what you got to do, this is what the Admiral says. And he's absolutely right. But all information needs to be passed on, regardless of how stupid it is, how crazy it is. Everybody needs to have all the information to make decisions. And he didn't relay that information. So technically, like, so you have to question if you have a subordinate that didn't pass that information along to you, even though that subordinate had best interest at heart. Do you really trust that Mm. that's who you want in the field? You know, Mm. Yeah, and that's that's part of being a good leader when somebody that's under you comes to you with a good idea, a good or a bad idea, you know. All right. Um, well, and and again, I don't know if her idea was good or bad, but it could have been impactful either way if it was good or bad. And he chose right. not to push that information along, you know. So that's kind of why he got you know in trouble there a little bit. Well, then you know I think this is his, a good learning experience for Saru because he was putting personal feelings in a way before Starfleet priorities and before his position. And this is, I think helping him not to make that mistake in the future. Yeah. Because he cares for Michael. Yeah. He really does. And he, uh, that clouded his judgment as to whether or not he should 
pass this information along or sit on it. Well, I don't even know is that. I just I don't think it ever occurred to him that he needed to pass it along. I just think he was just so blinded by the, by his primary mission that oh, this, okay. this just didn't even seem yeah seem like something that would be important. You know what I mean? Like I don't think it had anything to do with Burnham him hiding it from the Admiral. I just he just didn't even think about it. So let's move on into, I guess, the A story, which is the Giorgio Burnham unsanctioned mission to rescue Book in the Black Box. Um, first off, when we're on Book ship, any any thoughts on the Burnham Giorgio interaction? I didn't get much more from it than we've gotten in any of their interactions. Yeah, uh, I think it was just kind of par for the course of, as far as their relationship. Uh, I did enjoy the little. Uh, back and forth right at the start of it when he was, she was talking about her relationship with Book. Yeah. And, she, <laughs> and just in Giorgio's way, she kind of, by her fast talk and her smart, she kind of made Burnham stumble. And by stumbling, she kind of admitted to things she didn't want to admit to. Yeah, I, I think I think Giorgio had all the quips in this episode. Um, yeah. Jeremy, what was, what was the, the your quip up top that you gave us? You've had me at unsanctioned mission. <laughs> also, she has a quote. Uh, so what does this cat loving friend do to have you fall in love with him like a two year old on the edge of a well? Uh, I thought that was funny. And she said the blob risp- whisper, which I thought was real funny as well. And she also said uh, this cat can't get lost. It has its own gravitational pull. <laughs> <laughs> like Joe with the, uh, <laughs> the jabs. And she also had a vision when Burnham mentions Tyler. So to me, this was the most interesting part of the episode. Let's go ahead and get into it. I think it's the elephant of the room. What the heck is going on with the emperor visions? Any thoughts or theories? Cause I have no clue, but we can dissect some of the images that we see in the vision. Any, any thoughts from you guys? So that's correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the original. Prime Giorgio dying at the hands of Klingon, Klingons, isn't it? That she saw. Mm. Did I see that right? I don't think so. I don't know. So I pretty much freeze framed as many of these images as I could. So again, like when 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 Burnham mentions Tyler, that's when she kind of goes into it. What we see in these visions, we see the Terran logo. We see a shot of the ISS Chiron. We see what I think is Lorca falling into the the Chiron Energy Star thing. We see a bloody hand. We see a red somebody in a red and black suit with a luchadora looking helmet on lying there. Um, and I think the woman standing over that person is a younger Giorgio because we do see a picture. It looks like a younger Giorgio to me, but I'm not 100 percent sure. And they keep saying the word over and over again, San, like that's the person's name. So that really leaves me with nothing. But <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you, I got the San part, but short of that, I've seen none of that stuff. And I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't even pay attention to it close enough to want to freeze it or look at it. Uh, man, the fact that you got all of that from that is amazing. Me, Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like whoever that person is with the mask on, because I sent you guys the pictures. Whoever that, yeah, person is in with the, that person is with that mask on, like she's like 
trying to help them looks like and she has the blood on her hands you know that's a bloody hand we see that person like cut up and she's trying to help him i really have no clue i think it's something that that happened in the on the terran side the terran universe the mirror universe that was the terran red angel huh it could be man that's what i went to first with the mask and the suit but uh, man i don't know everything in the prime universe is in the alternate universe so i mean you would have to assume we had a red angel in one universe there was another in the other universe and mr glasses did kind of mess up Giorgio. yeah well yeah well we know she's been having these visions for about two weeks and that's you know that's as long as she's first met with uh kovich so maybe he you know our resident terranologist triggered something in her a suppressed memory ah that I'm, makes sense. I'm intrigued, but I have no idea where they're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So for me, yeah, that was the biggest mystery of the episode for me. And I'm just intrigued by where the where the heck they're going. Because, again, it 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 the way they present the visions, it definitely reminded me of the whole Tyler thing, the Tyler Klingon thing. So I'm, I'm interested in that. So let's move right along to the main mission where we see uh, where we go to say Booker at the Savage Planet. Uh, overall thoughts on the mission at the Savage Art Planet. I forgot the name of the planet. Uh, both visually and narratively. So, any 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 thoughts on this whole mission? I think we've said up top that it seemed kind of you know cliche, cookie cutter, go save the people from the place. But any any thoughts on how it unfolded? I mean, we pretty much said it all. I, again, I again the classic George O. I love that interaction with the holographic representation of the head guy there. She like <laughs> yeah. kind of ate his lunch real quick. <laughs> so yeah. that was cool. Um, I did. So I'm curious. I, 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 we're, we're, there's a lot of DS9 references here. And now we're getting new Bajor. And I, I know that's not the planet they were on or the, well, the place a new Bajor is not. Well, they mentioned the Bajoran exchange. Yeah. The Bajoran exchange. There you go. That's what I meant. So uh, uh, they have to be in Bajoran space close to it. Yeah, I thought that, too. I thought that, too. Uh, and then, didn't they mention uh, Ferenginar or something? I uh, heard Ferenginar, which is also in that general vicinity. Yeah, I didn't catch that. Wow. I'm hmm. going to go back like watch it again and try to remember that. Somebody mentioned Ferenginar, but I, and it just got me thinking, like, man, we got to be in Bajoran space somewhere. Yeah. And I wonder, um, you you would think that Bajor would be pretty important now that, you know, um, the wormhole. The, yeah, the wormhole because of lack of thy lithium. You think that'd be pretty important. I wonder if DS9 is still there. That'd be <laughs> awesome. But yeah, um, interesting stuff. I think all hey, of the. Well, anyway. No, go for it. Go for it. <laughs> it's just, just hopeful thinking. Like, they get, it's just so happy. I'm just throwing this <laughs> wild theory out there. There's more of a dream. That they get to maybe DS9 still exists near this wormhole and Cisco is in command. What? That was now let me, let me tell you how that's possible. The very last episode of DS9, you know, Cisco jumps off, jumps into the fire caves with the cut to kill him. Mm. And he is pulled into the uh celestial temple with the prophets. And he tells <laughs> Cassie, There's a lot for me to do and a lot for me to learn, and the only way I can learn it is here with the prophets. But I will be back. He said it could be next week. It could be in two years. It could be yesterday. You never know. And that's how they left it. Yeah. Well, it's a, it would be interesting as well as 
if they go to travel through the wormhole and, you know, they have one of those DS9 style visions in yeah. there, that, that's a way they could bring them back. Uh, I don't know. Just throwing that out there. But I, I just, there's a, there's just a lot of uh, references going toward the DS9 plot line. I mean, you got the Cardassian officer now and we got Trills and Bajoran Exchange. Uh, but as far as the rest of the scene, like like you said, this is just all cookie right cutter meal. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I mean, we got to see some a lot of Andorians here. So obviously Andorians has had a big part in the Federation or in Alpha Quadrant more than we've used, used to seeing. Well, it, it, uh, looks, it looks like now the Andorians are the bad guys. The Orion Andorian uh, Exchange is what they no ex, no they called it something else. Consortium. Mm, Emerald Chain is what they called it. Yeah, Emerald Chain. Yeah. Um, the Orion. They did say Orion Andorian Syndicate or something. Yeah, I think it was yeah. So, just kind of a fun fact here: the gentleman who played the um, Andorian who helped them escape—I can't remember his name right off—but that is Mary Wiseman's husband. Really? Oh, wow, that's yeah. cool. That's awesome. cool. He was a good character. Yeah, um, man, there was some good stuff in there. Um, I loved how this was a salvage yard, and all you saw were these old ships. Uh, even when you're getting the space, the space visual of the planet, you see all types of ships. If you kind of pause and look around that are <laughs> in pretty bad shape, this is kind of just floating around the planet I, in the orbit of the planet. I thought all that was pretty cool. Yeah. So so the visuals are great. Even the visuals on the planet, I thought were pretty solid. You know, we still got slaves in the future. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> our, our friend Eric Hetherington pointed out that the. The uh, barrier wall is akin to the 19s, 1980s action flick um, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Running Man. Never where, seen it. Where I think there's a similar type of barrier protecting or keeping people from leaving. So, yeah, I've hmm. seen the movie. It's been a while, but I do remember yeah, that. It's been about there. 30 years since I've seen that movie. So <laughs> I've seen that type of technology in a couple of different movies, though. Yeah, but I thought that was pretty hmm. cool. And yeah. For for me, just don't cross that gun line, boss. <laughs> what is that from? Why? Tell about the gun line. Oh gosh, yeah. If you so much as <laughs> this man really loves, I've seen that movie probably once or twice. Oh man, that's hilarious. I, I know I lose my black card. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have fences here at Camp Eight. We have the gun line. Tell about the gun line, boss. Right, go ahead, I'm sorry. And that's the bonus show, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but let's move on. Um, yeah, again, like not not a lot from that whole escape sequence that we can talk about. I do love how how we see Book, you know, being to me. I, I like how he's a caring person. He he doesn't he doesn't leave his friend behind. Uh, the doctor guy that we just mentioned. I thought that was pretty cool. And, and again, we we get the fight uh, with Burnham and the. Orion and Giorgio there at the end. And we, Giorgio has a second, a second, um, dream sequence spell, whatever you want to call it. Um, that, you know, a few more tidbits there, but yeah, I think that's, I think that's about it. We do have the, um, Adira Blue Del Barrio scenes with Anthony Rapp, aka Stamets, uh, where we see them forming a connection. I thought that all was pretty good. She she did them a solid with the sports drive interface, make things a little bit easier. Do we like the softer side of Stamets? No. 
All right. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that it's a softer side. Mm-hmm. I've never seen them smile so much. True. You, you're right about that. It's just something about, but yeah, I don't know. It's something about a deer that kind of gets him. Like very, like we mentioned this last time. Like the very first time he meets her, he like tells her everything. He's just, he's just uncomfortably comfortable with her. Yeah, and, and that kind of leads me to something that I was thinking. I'm like, are they trying to get rid of Stamets? Like, where where are they going with her character? Because they've already said that she's the smartest person on the ship. Now we have three, well, four extremely smart engineers. Well, I guess Stamets is an engineer, but uh, we got him, um, Reno. Is it Reno? Jet Reno mm-hmm. and, and, and Tilly that are all extremely smart. And we see that she's the smartest out of all of them now. So I wonder if she's going to be if either her uh, or somebody else is not going to be around for very long, probably her, if I'm being honest, but, but yeah, I just don't know where they're going with her character at all. I think, I think Adira will remain part of the engineering crew. Here's my hope. And I know it's a long stretch, but maybe Tilly becomes first officer. And I know she oh, that would be awesome. Well, they've already said that Saru and Tilly are going to be forming a stronger bond Throughout this season, they've already said that. And yeah. and she there was a big deal about her becoming a captain, being in a command tra- training program. So I could actually see that happening. Like, I'm going to be pissed if it's that whatever there's other Nelson, yeah, that we just learned about. <laughs> Boom. Now, the, the issue you have with Tilly is the rank. So the rank issues. Uh, I mean, she's an ensign. So they're plenty of people to choose aboard. Now, that's not necessarily saying the only other commanders on the ship is Stamets and uh, Hu- Huber. Hu- Huber. Cobra. Cobra. There you go. Sorry. Uh, that's the only two command commanders on the ship, but they're not in command level Starfleet. The ones in medical, ones in science. Now, now Tilly's in science. But wow, he's lieutenant commander? Huh. Interesting. So Stamets and Culber are both commanders. That's the only commanders left on the ship. Everybody else is ensigns and lieutenants. Lieutenant Nielsen is is a command officer, obviously. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I mean, right now, she's the shoe-in. Like, she's who's stepping in when Saru leaves, and she is a lieutenant, and she's already on the bridge, and she's already command level. Maybe, I mean, we get some scenes of the next episode, and we visit... A familiar species. Maybe we'll pick up a known Vulcan. Yeah. Do you guys have any predictions from the next on uh, preview that we got? Unification, I think, is the next episode. Unification three. So we've had two more unifications, and they've both been about Vulcans. So, I mean, and we do get previews of Vulcan on the next episode. And there's some kind of ceremony going on yeah. on Discovery. Do we know what that is? To me, it looks like the unification is going to be the reunification of Vulcan to the Federation. That's uh, what I think was going on. Do we assume that they broke away from the Federation? It maybe they're just so far it wasn't even intentional. It's just not practical anymore. I mean, yeah. I mean, Earth is not a part of Federation either. So true. Um, it's very plausible, and we know there is no more Romulus unless they've you know they form some other planet somewhere. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would assume that they would already be unified, the Romulans and the Vulcans. So I, I'm I'm thinking it's going to be 
I'm thinking it's going to be Federation reunifying with, with the Vulcan people, Vulcan slash Romulan nation, whatever they are now, uh, back to Federation. Hmm. Possibly. But who knows? Again, I have no idea where the season is going, uh, but I'm mostly enjoying the ride. It's funny, man. I really love a book, but I just didn't love. I just didn't love this episode for some reason. And I don't know why. Um, What about the um, grudge chili scenes? (sighs) See, See, I'm a cat owner. So to me, that was just like, yep, I can see my cat doing that. I can see my cat doing that. It didn't make my heart build anything. <laughs> uh, my heart wasn't built because cats are little punks, but, but it was very true to life. I thought it was interesting, but that's yeah. a big cat. Hey, so I did. We do have a, a new canon hole, kind of, sort of. So on Calypso. You get a shot of discovery, and I went back and looked it up, and it is. It's NCC 10031, no A. Ah. Hmm. So, how do you square that circle? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I still think there's. I'm wondering if it, it could still be something to do with. When discovery first comes through the wormhole, everybody sleep. I found that to be weird, extremely weird. Although we do, did get a reason. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like the story is not fully, un, fully told on all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, let's, <laughs> let's go around a horn and, and, uh, get everybody's ratings. Um, and let's start with you, Jeremy. What, what's your ratings, sir? Um, once again, another, to me, another good episode. Not the strongest of the season so far, but still very good. I'm going to give it a 4.5. All right. You heard it there. 4.5 out of 5 from Jeremy. What about you, Jonathan? Uh, So, as I mentioned at the top of this episode, I'm kind of glad for this one because it allows me to give my rating some room to maneuver. Uh, Very good episode. Not a lot of meat on these bones. Uh, So, for that, I'll give it... 4.325. 4.325. What? <laughs> Very specific here. <laughs> Listen, everything has been fives for me here on out. I'm going to have to start getting specific. All right. Well, for me, uh, I don't know if I'm breaking any hearts here, but I'm going with a 3.5 out of five. Oh, I'm playing. I'm so sorry. I get it. I get it. Uh, I I I liked it, man. I liked the episode, but it was like it didn't. I guess it goes back to what you're saying, John. The first four or four episodes, five episodes were so strong. Um, and I don't know. Even the visuals in this were good. It's just like something about it just didn't. Just didn't. I think I'm ready for answers. I think it's sort of like what we're talking about with Picard. We're ready for him to get a win. I think yeah. it's I think it's now time that we start seeing some answers. Um yeah. cuz we're what almost halfway through the season. Uh and it's just like we're getting more mystery. <laughs> we're getting more to like whoa, how are they going to wrap all of this up? <laughs> we're starting to talk more about theories than we're talking about facts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, let's start getting some answers. I really have my mind blown. I'm really really have my mind blown. And it's just, it's such a huge weight to introduce all these theories because they have to pay off in spades. You know, the Lorca thing right. paid off in spades. 
Um, the Red Angel thing, I think, still paid off in spades. These theories, you know, the burn is a good theory, but it, it has to be really the, the result of what happened has to be really good. And yeah. with with any show, the more time you spend building a, a, a question, the more bigger your answer has to be. Yeah. If you yeah. spend too much time with this burn, like eventually it's gonna get to the point where no answer will satisfy the time and effort we spent put into it. Yeah. And and it's so funny that and I know we're rambling here, but but oh we're gonna get the Starfleet, we're gonna know the answer to the burn, we're gonna get the earth, we're gonna know the answer to the burn. No, no, they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> and they don't want you knowing either. <laughs> we got bigger things to do. But, you know, once again, great job to the cast and crew for keeping all these secrets under wraps because I've just seen nothing, no spoilers out there at all. Yeah, yeah. Like, period. That's really impressive, actually. Agreed. We're going to wrap this thing up, guys. Uh, Let's go around the horn and see what everybody has been working on podcast-related or otherwise. And, uh, Jonathan, what about you, man? Podcast-related otherwise? You want to shout out anything? Whatever. Man, a lot of work. I am actually preparing for Christmas uh, and happy Thanksgiving out there to all of our listeners. Yeah. Uh, you listen to this, it'll probably be Thanksgiving day before. So uh, happy Thanksgiving. And other than that, man, Amazon has been my friend. Uh, UPS is probably not my friend because they deliver <laughs> so much. <laughs> uh, so that's kind of what I've been spending my time putting lights, decorating trees, wrapping presents and all that. Uh, but I have still been on the expanse kick and it's getting better and better by the episode. Oh yeah, man. So, uh, highly advise anyone out there, out there to, you know, watch that. And I wish Carrie was on tonight with me cause I'm going to start on my second PC build here soon, ah. but I'm building it for my stepson. So, uh, but you know, I've got, I started ordering parts and then when I got all the parts and got done, I realized I'm building up a better computer and I built myself. <laughs> so you're going to keep that one and give them another one. Well, now if I could just find some programmable matter. Huh. <laughs> Detached power supply. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. Impossible, but nice. <laughs> what have you been working on? What you got, man? Oh, man, for me, um, not really working on a lot other than this podcast. And I'll say that um, I'm watching a lot of stuff and I'm watching a show called The Undoing on HBO. That's been pretty interesting. So I'll give a shout out to that. But also I want to give a shout out to friend of the show, Tasha Pierce and her YouTube channel after the snap. Uh, I subscribe and listen and watch, excuse me, her videos where she's breaking down Star Trek Discovery as well as theories uh, also, so um, yeah, I would suggest anybody go out and subscribe to After the Snap on YouTube for some good, fun Star Trek content, as well as you know, subscribing to Discussing Trek on YouTube as well. Jeremy, what about you, man? Uh, you have any shout outs or um, no parting gifts? So, once you know, I go Jonathan here. Happy holidays to everyone. I'm not a holiday person, but you know, I'm not going to prevent people from celebrating and such. Um, like I said, I got three things. The the Crown season four is out. It is good. I'm not finished yet, but it is very good so far. Um, number two, the newest expansion of World of Warcraft drops this week. Oh, so I'm okay. kind of looking forward to doing that. 
And number three, and this is, I think I'm probably the only one. If I think if Kyle was on, he probably echoed this as well. Sunday night, last night at Survivor Series, The Undertaker bid his farewell to 30 years in WWE, which was kind of not emotional for me. But I remember I was watching live when he debuted and then being able to watch it when he left after 30 years, which is kind of a, for me, a special moment. Uh-huh. So, what are you like, 50? Uh, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old, man. So, you know, I mean, He's just one of those those characters that have endured for 30 years. So, you know, I hate to see him go, but he's earned it. Yeah. But is he really going to go? Is he? Uh, really? There's no telling. You know, that's what I was getting ready to say. Like, didn't he announce this like once before? Uh, there's, and then he came back without the, well, in a different costume or something. Well, he says this is the final one. And, I, and judging from his couple, last couple of matches, it probably should be. Yeah, yeah, man. I mean, it's just, you know, 30 years, man. One last time. Got to teach him how to say goodbye. Right. You and I. Okay. None of you watched Hamilton. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's he is great. not going to watch a musical, by the way. So good luck it's with a, that. It's a rap rap musical. It's great. It doesn't matter. That's my shout out. Watch watch Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. Come on, John. Do it. Do it. I promise if you. If I want to hear music, I'll listen, listen to music. Listen, listen. listen. I promise you, I promise you, you'll be rapping the songs the next day. I promise you. Now, you might not want to sit for the whole three hours. Is it two hours? Oh, God. <laughs> but but it, it's awesome. Listen to it on Spotify, man. It's good. Listen, trust me. I didn't even watch music videos when they were that big. Dude, I hate musicals, too, dude. Trust me. I hate musicals. But Hamilton is awesome. Okay. <sighs> anyway, thank you all for joining. <laughs> Thank you all for joining. And um, if you want to send in feedback, you can hit us up at fans at discussingtrek.com or at discussingtrek on any and all social medias. Uh, what are your thoughts, guys? Send it in. Let us let us know what you think of this this episode and where you think the season is going. What are your theories? What are your theories? Until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. just not the same for you after Tony Stark's endgame snap? Are you desperately looking forward to the Snyder Cut to regain your love for the Justice League? Disappointed by the return of Skywalker? And how angry are you about Star Trek killing Picard only to reanimate him in a golem? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you need help. And I'm here to give it to you. 
I'm Tasha Pierce, host of After the Snap podcast. Every Sunday, join me as I present reasons for you to fall in love again with sci-fi. After the Snap, virtual group therapy for all of sci-fi's depressing moments. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are served. Discussing Network.